I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. to another edition of the Lost Words podcast. I'm joined today by Charlie Ford, who, Charlie, you, you've been on the podcast before, haven't you? So people should know who you are by now. But uh, you uh, haven't played for a little while, have you, with the, the lockdown and things like that? Yeah, yeah, I've been on before. Hopefully uh, not offended too many people. And they um, remember um, the topics we talked about previously. But, um, yeah, kind of uh, probably the longest break from actually playing a game of golf and... Uh, I can remember this this sort of lockdown kicking in. Although with the weather we've had in the past week or so, it's not exactly enticing. Well, no, enticing to go out and play again. So I've nearly broken my leg on a couple of occasions this week uh, walking into work because I can't actually get my car out of the road, which uh, our other guest won't be able to actually uh, be able to relate to because he's uh, in sunny South Africa. And that's uh, Ollie Briggs. Ollie, uh, welcome to the show. Um, European Tour caddy, currently on the bag with Julian Suri. Welcome to uh, to the conversation. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sort of the reason we sort of wanted to have this chat um, initially, and the reason I reached out to you both was the news uh, yesterday of the PGA allowing range fighters in tournament play. And Ollie, I'll come to you first. We, we were just discussing off air, and it's not really going to change an awful lot, I don't think. I think their their decision. They think it's going to speed up play, um, but I would actually say that if anything, it'll probably slow it down because people use the lasers confirmation of what they've already worked out. Yeah, you, you've hit it on the head right there. Um, to be honest, you know we play on tour. That Charlie's played on tour. I've been caddying recently on tour. These pro golfers, they want things other than what a laser can give you. Um, they want what the green front is. They want what the top of this ridge is. How much is it over the bunker on the right-hand side there? Where does the fringe stop? What's the back of the green? These are things that lasers don't pick up. So whilst it's nice to have the option to use it, and trust me, I mean, I've been working for three weeks just recently in the desert, and when you're in the middle of the bloody desert and uh, <laughs> there's, no, there's, there's, no, there's no paint markings around or sprinkler heads to pick up, it would be nice to pick up a little laser and, uh, and see how far you do actually have so you don't have to pace it off yourself and guess. Ultimately, that's the only area where it could speed up play. If you are in, you know, in in the Bundai, that's the only area I can see you can speed up play. Because ultimately, Charlie will attest to it. These guys are wanting more information than what a laser can give you because they want to see or they want to hear what the laser can't deliver. And that's the job of a caddy. And that's the job of the yardage book providers on any tour around the world is what is the number to the top of that slope? What is the number to the back of the green where the pin is? That's the kind of thing that uh, these guys want. So simply allowing lasers doesn't really change the game whatsoever, to be honest. No, it's not. And Charlie, your thoughts on that as well? Because I imagine if I don't, I don't know quite how to put it, but you know, you wouldn't you expect you you trust your caddy implicitly because you know he's gone out the days before and and mapped the course and and walked it and you know worked out all the yardages. And him just having a laser now isn't going to give you additional confidence i wouldn't have thought would it no no not for me it's like i think um the people who kind of jump to the conclusion oh it's going to speed up play it's going to be great i probably haven't really probably been privy to conversations between um caddies and player in pre-shot and practice rounds things like that and how all the preparation that goes into where a certain pin might be where the places 
you don't, don't want to hit it. Um, do you need to keep below this certain hole? So a pin number could you could be playing a lot like you could be playing seven or eight yards short right of it, of a back left pin, for instance. It, the pin number itself can be can be quite irrelevant um, depending on where you are, what lie you have uh, <laughs> coming into the green. I think that it's easy on the eye to say, yeah, uh, just shoot the flag, got yardage, go hit it. That's it. But the detail, the level of detail and attention that has to go into each shot just far outweighs the simplicity of what is the pin number and then just try and hit it as close as you can. As good as golf, even the best golfers in the world, that we all, they all have, even when they're playing great, they still have a capacity to miss the ball where the wedge could be five or six yards left and right. And so there's even certain pins there that they're going to, even play, playing great, they're going to be conservative towards. But like Ollie alluded to, it's if you've got a, a backstop behind it, you want to know how much space there's behind or can you use that slope? It, does that mean it's a full wedge rather than hitting in like a half shot taking a spin off? There's so much more to the shot than just getting, okay, it's 150 yards, 9-iron hit it. There's, and in that sense... Yeah, laser just doesn't offer the knowledge and that you're going to get from yourself and your caddy and what you've done pre-tournament and and going through that pre-shot routine. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. How you know, in your playing days, Charlie, how often would you actually ask for the pin number and, and play to that as opposed to sort of finding a different part of the green? I mean, all, all, all depending on conditions um, and how well you're playing at certain times. If you're, you're locked in, you've got really soft greens, perhaps that aren't spinny, or greens that are, you know, not very well protected. You, you tend to probably be a bit more aggressive. You'll get a pin number, and you'll, you then might be looking towards it. You'd still be so aware of all the carries over bunkers if the if the green cuts in on a certain point, or um, if if how much space have you got behind it? If long is kind of like going to leave a really tough up and down. And um, so even when you're playing great. You'll get closer to the pin number, yet yeah, still not everything. I mean, especially if you're slightly off, or you get those days when it's windy, um, or you're coming from the rough a lot. The, the pin number all becomes almost irrelevant. You're looking at almost middle of the green a lot of the times, and just trying to move on um, on those tougher days where the conditions weather-wise, or or conditions of just a difficult golf course where you, the the pin can become sort of irrelevant. You're just aiming for the middle of the green and, and trying to move move on to the next hole. Yeah, absolutely. Ollie, what, you know, the thing that I've, you know, I need to actually confirm is I don't think you'll be able to use any of the slope rating or anything like that. So, you know, an elevation change and things like that, you still wouldn't be able to get that from a range fire. So that would still rely on, on the, the extra work that you put in in the days before. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we do, we, we do look at different things. We look at the different wind directions for the week. This is the kind of thing that a laser can't really pick up. You know, I had a, a recent example in Saudi Arabia last week with my player where there was a carry of 340 yards, believe it or not. <laughs> but it was 35 degrees and it was pumping downwind and he could carry it. Now, the laser is irrelevant on that point because what the book delivers um, and what the, uh, you know, the, the, the stereotypical and the traditional yardage chart, those things give you the data to a degree which... A laser cannot, because obviously you need something physical at the end of a bunker or the end of a waste area, for example. And I'm quite lucky that, believe it or not, my brother actually does all the scanning for the European tour for the yardage books. Oh, okay. 
Right. So he walks around with a backpack on, which is worth a quarter of a million pounds. So the guy <laughs> who owns that has a mortgage on it. Um, and he walks around golf courses, wherever it is in the world. He's currently in America doing some work on the LPGA. And the level of detail that these GPS equipment can go into is essentially one millimeter in a hundred meter. So a player will always trust something that's worth you know, a quarter of a million pounds over a 200, 300, 400 pound laser that you hold with your hand. And ultimately <laughs> it's up to you to pick up the top of a bunker lip. These books, these books that, that, that we get given on the European tour, the books that you get given on the PGA tour are so, so good. They're so good that these laser, the new laser rules, they don't mean anything. They don't mean anything because ultimately what the guy who does the books on European tour is a guy called Dion Stevens. What he does for us as caddies is unbelievable. The level of detail he goes into. And ultimately, I will always trust his books over that laser. Yeah, and, and you've been, and as far as I know, you're, allowed, you're able to use the lasers during practice rounds as well anyway. So... Do you actually do you actually ever use that during your practice, or do you just you know work with your yardage books and, and your own work? I don't own a laser. No. no. So and that and that's the thing, isn't it? Not interested. It just yeah. You know what really, Charlie? Does it actually actually change at all? Like we just said, because it's not just a case of we don't think it's going to speed it up. It could generally slow it down because people will go, okay, well you've given me this number, but why not just check it with the laser while you're there? Yeah, there's um, the one time, like Ollie said earlier, that, that it could it will speed you up is if you hit it way offline, another hole, another fairway, or in the desert, whatever the course requires. But you're a long way from the from all the dots that are relevant to your hole. One bit that doesn't sit great with me there is you're way offline. I'm not sure you really deserve to know exactly no. what yardage is in a way. You're so far off. Like perhaps there should be some punishment in that sense, or I can't sit nice, nice to hear nice to hear a player being honest like this that's bloody lovely <laughs> <laughs> bit of self-punishment marvelous <laughs> yeah if you're hitting the, standing hitting the shot though and you get it 10 yards wrong then it's uh the caddy's fault obviously every time but um but no i think that that's where uh, that's where it just doesn't sit quite right with me in in, a, in some ways but um and then also on the speeding up i noticed from playing in you know, some in the past year, especially like when we've been kind of restricted on travel, played a lot of the one-day uh, events where, you know, the yardage books are, not, are just kind of irrelevant. So you you kind of stick into a laser a lot of the time, um, and you end up lasering. You, your level of like preparation is obviously nowhere near the quality of what it is for for what would be a, a top tour event. But one thing I did notice is when you arrive to your ball in the fairway, if the guys on the green are putting out and the flag's not in or they're blocking the view of the flag. Well, you can't even get a yardage until they're finished putting out, finish the hole, and then you get the pin. And then you're looking at, okay, how far is that on for my pin sheet and working out what your front yardage is or what's behind it. So in that way, actually, numerous times I've felt through that, throughout those events, it slows you down because if you had a good yardage book in that sense, you'd have all your numbers done before the guys are even finished on the hole in front. And you're not standing there waiting to for the pin to go back in, for the laser to then get the pin, and then trying to work out all the other numbers that you want in relation to where the pin actually sits. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And and like you say, you're just you're sitting there waiting. I think the biggest argument, Ollie, at the moment with regards to slow play is that people 
aren't ready to go when it's their turn to go. You know, you, you look and, and you turn the, the green's clear. It's your turn to take the shot. You've had, you know, a couple of minutes, you know, in the break to, to talk with your caddy over the shot and you're still not ready to pull the trigger. Um, and then you have your conversation. If you then got to pull a laser out to then do it, like Charlie said, until the green's clear, you can't do that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say 90% of player caddy combos are ready. But it's just that small percentage that ruin it for everyone, just like in any any walk of life. Um, yeah, we, we, we go through the same kind of thing. These people sometimes take a little bit longer to get your number. Maybe aren't switched on. We don't know. Players are sometimes a little bit slower. Caddies are sometimes a little bit slower. The team is sometimes a little bit slower. And it's it's just one of those things. And it is getting stamped out, thankfully. The European Tour has a phenomenal uh, slow play policy right now, and the way that they do it is incredible. Like the amount of referees that are on people at the point at which people can play slow. So if you take so long over a shot, a referee will come over to you straight away and go, you took a minute to hit that shot. Now, you don't get a penalty for it, but they're telling you. You know, and that's the new policy is that they will tell you, oh, you're being monitored, you're you're being watched at how slow you're doing, yeah. but then they'll really press down on you after you, you know, if, if they tell you being monitored and you take a slow time, then they're going to kick you. And then that's when people really, really quicken up. And I have to say, the, tour, the European tour especially, I've not been on the PGA tour for a few years. That was maybe two or three years ago when I was last working out there. But the European tour have done such an incredible job to try and speed things up. And that shock. Remember that shot clock masters a few years ago in Austria, yeah. 2018, 2017. And they actually did a survey on the average time it took for a player to hit a shot. And it was a lot less in that tournament. And so was the stroke average. And that golf course, Charlie will attest to this. That's not an easy golf course that you play that diamond country club in Austria. What a wonderful golf course that is. It's bloody hard. And that is not, that, that's a course where you're going to take your time. And it just showed that, this shot clock masters actually worked. It was it was really good. And you know, Charlie will tell you now if he comes in. That is not a that's not an easy golf course. That's a that's a really good golf course. It's really difficult and the wind swirls around. Yeah, definitely. I remember playing the shot clock masters and it was um like you say it's a it's a tricky course with there's a few like little doglets, gets kind of firm and fast, winds about and there's a course that you, you need to take a lot of consideration on, on majority of shots there. It's not not much of it is that kind of you know, straightforward, hit it anywhere and move on. Um, but that week when it shot up, it was so obvious. And, you know, I wouldn't be renowned as being a fast player. Um, but I, I, I used to be very slow, actually, I would have said, when I first came out. Um, and then I remember sp- speaking to the rest, and they were just like, you're, just not, you're, ne- you're not really, like, even getting the yardage years before the other guys have hit. I was always kind of, at the start, was longer than most. So it was like, you're just chilling out by the other guys, wait until you get to your ball, uh, until they're hit, then you get to your ball, then you start in your process and your time's just running out on you um, because you're not kind of prepared. And then I made a real effort from that point and felt like I was always got to probably average maybe from that, that point forwards. And um, that shot cut message just felt that like everybody was on, everyone was 30 yards short of your ball. It was kind of like, okay, switch on, yardage needs to be get. Getting gotten there from wherever the dots are, get the number. There was no sort of like real 
like messing about almost like the socializing or whatever it would be that kind of guys just go through the motions sometimes and there's a higher level of efficient a higher level of efficiency it seems yeah yeah without a doubt um everyone was just yeah just on the and it felt like i remember the first day thinking gosh we're going to be really wary of this shot clock like you're gonna to have to keep my, my rob gibson was canning for me that week and i was like rob you need to be on this like clock if it gets down you know, you said I think you had like one sort of like timeout you could take around or something like that, or one or two. I was like, if it gets down, just let me know and we'll, we'll, you know, step out. But then once you're prepared all the time, it was amazing how much time you had left after every shot. Like it would, I never, I didn't use, I used one on the last green on the last day just to say that I used one um, as a timeout. But it was like the rest of the time you actually ended up with a lot of time because you were just everyone was just prepared, everyone just. What you didn't do anything necessarily quicker. You were just more efficient with, your, with the time and getting getting your numbers approach to the ball. And like if that was highlighted every week in terms of shot uh, clock or you know just if people had that same attitude most weeks. Then I think in general it would speed up a lot. But I think the problem sometimes in the slower rounds is once one group gets is struggling, the kind of knock on effect. The people have a bit of time then. It, there's no need to, for the efficiency to be quite there because you know you're going to be waiting. And it kind of trickles back through the groups and ends up being a bit slow. But I, I do think it, it's a lot quicker in Europe, especially than it is what we see when we're watching the coverage in the States, for sure. Yeah, so in, Ollie, I wanted to go back to something that you said as well, is, is that, you know, it's not everybody. It's not, I don't... They say there's a massive slow play problem in golf. But golf's not a sport that you can play fast. Like, if I went out and played a round of golf... I wouldn't get round in two and a half hours. It's not like the professional game's over the top. But, and, and that's the thing. Is it just a case of we're seeing a small minority who suggests there's a massive problem and, and the PGA have decided to be the first ones out to try and suggest that there's a, there's a resolution to it with these lasers? And actually, if you just clamp down on the minority of people that are actually taking too much time, we could just just get rid of it that way. Yeah, look, it's, a, it's an interesting approach. It's a multifaceted issue. Um, ultimately, I think professional golfers, all in all, are very consistent in how fast or slow they play. You know, you've got your individuals that do take time and do take the piss a little bit. Um, but the American way that seems to be coming through with this new laser rule here, it's probably more to do with the yardage books that they have as, as, as caddies and players. So on the European Tour, on the Challenge Tour, uh, even on Euro Pro, when you get, you get down to the bottom level of, of professional golf, where you're playing for money, we get we get yardage books that show the entire hole. They show the level of detail is incredible. It, it is it is truly phenomenal. When I first went out to America and caddied on the PGA Tour, doing majors, WGCs, and things, the yardage books that you get just show a landing zone. And if you don't hit it far enough, then you're not getting that landing zone. So, you know, if you squaff or heel, heel a driver off a tee on a par five and it only goes 260, let's say, you know, which is completely normal, you know, all of a sudden I'm having to run off 40 yards worth of sprinkler heads <laughs> because on the American yardage book, that's all you have. You have this landing zone. It's like a strip. Whereas in Europe and on the Challenge Tour, and Euro Pro Tour, and Charlie will tell you this, when it comes to European books, what Dion does, 
the guy that does our yardage books, everything is in the book. Everything is there. So the speed of play is so much quicker because a caddy can just run to the nearest tree and run to the nearest sprinkler head. When you go to America, their books that they have, it's in sections. So you, you, you get given a landing area of like 280 to 350, which is where the world's best hit it. But if you miss hit a shot, you're having to run back, you know, bloody sideways to try and find a try and find a sprinkler head to then do it. So I can see why they've introduced this rule. What they should do is actually just change the Irish books and get someone that does the level of detail that we're accustomed to on the European tour, because that would make play quicker, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I completely. Yeah. yeah, I completely agree. And Charlie, I suppose you all know better from that, obviously, from playing. Like, like Ollie just alluded to there. You, you see the detail they've got, and and I don't know whether you've played in America as well, and you can compare the two. But you know, for, for you personally, like if the caddy's got all that information, that really and truly, you want to be almost as I don't suppose as fast as you can be with the shot. But there's also a period of time where right, you've got all that detailed information and any sort of extra time you take is actually probably just talking yourself out of a shot that you can really just commit to. Yeah, yeah. I think I've seen, going back onto the yardage books, firstly, um, I mean, I remember playing, I played um, like web.com qualifier type stuff and also in college. And I know the books that, that Ollie's talking about with them and they just lack so much detail in comparison to what I had in Europe. I mean, they got to a stage in Europe, I feel like, you go to a practice round and you almost know exactly what you've got to do because the book is that. You get a picture of the hole on it, like from looking from the tee for all your lines off the tee, like the, the carry lines, the run-through lines, all your details on your shots. Every, the, it feels like you should really know what club to hit before you've even seen the golf course because the book's that good, if that makes sense. Um, and that detail, you just... You, you just don't doubt, you, you've no doubt over over what you're you're sort of looking at, um, and especially like with the when you get into the shots, I think you see a lot of the of the caddies see you on a, you're playing on a, a today. Or a lot of the time they would have they look for the, the dot on the green during the round, the previous round, they've paced off what it is to slopes, what it is maybe just to double check to back edges, carry uh, yardages, whatever it would be to that pin and. So once they're approaching it, they all all the information's is right there. Which they, there's and you're going through through that. Now there, there is times when you could be right in between clubs, the wind could be swirling on you, or it feels like it's speed going up and down, and you have that little bit of uncertainty that you might just need to talk through a shot for a while longer. And for the majority of the time. Guys can get to if if they're on the ball and kind of efficient with their time, they'll get to that answer quickly. And I think there's just those odd occasions where I remember having one at, at Q School when I actually got my card. I, I know that we took a long time of the shot. It was the, the 18th hole. I had the par five water tight to the green left, and I had a lot of mud on the ball um, on the right hand side. So I'm thinking it's supposed to now nosedive into the water and it was a comfortable carry we stood there for quite a while with a lot of wind in off the left and it was like there's no bailout going for it really in two but the layup was bunkers everywhere and I had no control of where this ball was going to go and we stood there for we would have gone over time then for you know a minute minute and a half to try and figure out what on earth is the best option with this with this shot whereas but that's coming once in a twice 
in probably every two or three rounds, I reckon. Like, if you have one of those around, that'd be the, um, the rest of the time. It's you walk on a tee, you know what shot you're going to hit, you know where the wind's coming from before you've gone out there. Your paddy's probably worked out or already pre to work out what wind direction is going to be before you've gone, like before you've gone out to play, and we'll be aware, okay, well, yesterday that hole was into wind, so we hit driver today, or it's downwind, there's water at 320, you couldn't have that, you couldn't do yesterday, so they'd always be aware of those things, so on the tee box, it's, it's pretty quick, and then, um, yeah, just maybe slight adjustments on your line, and that's kind of it, and then into the green, it's just a little bit of adaptation for where you where you're coming from, what your lies like, if you're in the fairway in the rough, the fairway bunker. Um, but yeah, just those odd moments where you might have you know, really testing shot or really kind of like a shot that brings uncertainty to it and um, that you might need a little bit longer, but the rest of the time, I think everyone, if you're if you're efficient with your time, you have plenty of time to play, play a golf shot and get around and in a normal time I like you said I mean I think if you play I think you said earlier it's not what you're ever going to play that much quicker I don't know how fast people expect the pros to be able to kind of get round but you want to take the big five five and a half hour rounds out but you're never going to play it in, in three hours it's just unless you're you know maybe a two ball first thing out on a Sunday morning that's about the only time you might have a chance of getting round that, that sort of speed yeah absolutely and Ollie just to, to kind of you as well and like Charlie just said there, it depends on sort of the moment of the shots and you can't, there's certain situations that kind of get your attention and make you want to hit, you know, think about it a little bit more. And and what we see as viewers of, you know, if we're watching Sky Sports on a Saturday, Sunday, we're looking at the leaders, right, who are playing, you know, really mega important shots where there's going to be a lot more deliberation. It might be a bad light, etc. So that's our kind of our view on it. We're not seeing the other hundred guys that are out on the field. And, and like Charlie just said, you can't just, you can't just rush your way through it. I mean, we see the videos, I can't remember who it was, but there was a guy that went out to one ball and did it in less than three hours. But he's a one ball and, and he's out first thing. It's, I don't know if there's actually as big of an issue on slow pay in general across golf, as whether it's just a hyper-focus on the three or four, five, six individuals that are notorious for it. No, I think it's just a media thing, to be perfectly honest. It gives people something to talk about. Um, for example, but let me relate this to something that's quite easy. On Sunday morning last week in Saudi Arabia, um, we were in a three ball and they did something called a U-draw, which Charlie will know about. But what it means is that you try and have, it's basically a shotgun start, but it's a little bit timed. And when we finished our nine holes, um, because we were at the bottom end of the leaderboard, when we got to the first hole, Dustin Johnson hadn't yet teed off. So we had played, the three of us had played so quickly, you know, the, the three the three players and the three caddies had played so quickly, we got through those nine holes because we were the first off in the morning. We got to the TV times and all of a sudden, well, if you're on TV, you're going to take your time. You want to see your sponsors on TV as much as possible. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. These These guys are getting paid a lot of money to be at golf tournaments. The guys at the very top of the game are earning a lot of money for being exposed with their sponsors and TV time equals more money. So why wouldn't you take your time? Why wouldn't you? If you've got a, a, a watch company on your left shoulder, you've got a hat which 
which delivers you a million dollars a year in a sponsorship, wouldn't you take your time? Why wouldn't you? These people need to take their time because it gets more TV time. And it's absolutely right. If Char- if, if I told Charlie, here you go, mate, here's £100,000 a year to have a watch company on your hat, but you need to make sure that when you're on TV and in contention that you play slow because it will maximise your potential, well, I know what Charlie's going to do. That's what all these guys do. It's it's not a simple thing about playing quick. It's not your... There's a differential. Like Rory said the other day, when it came to the distance stuff, you're talking about the 0.001%. You're not talking about the average golfer. The average golfer wants to get around, do his golf, get back to his home, get back to his family, enjoy his life. The guys on tour, they don't care about this. They're there to earn money. They're there to earn ranking points. They're, earn, they're, earn, they're there to earn you know, sponsorship value. And you know, I'll, offer Charlie, I'll offer Charlie the situation now. You might be able to play a go- round of golf in four hours, but if I gave you a hat with a certain brand on top of it and said, if you take a little bit more time and here's an extra £100,000 is because you're on TV a little bit more, I know what he's going to take. So the, uh, the, the whole thing about slow play in the professional game is completely irrelevant because it's all driven by money. It's all driven by advertisement it's all driven by just making sure that you're doing the right thing because it is your livelihood at the end of the day yeah charlie just on that you know would, would you echo those sort of statements because it's an interesting topic because i it's kind of related in a way is like we you know i saw a lot of people moaning uh, well some people moaning about it but a lot of people moaning about it that you know why are we seeing so much of bryson dechambeau on the tv coverage in saudi when he was you know whatever it was, 10 shots out of the lead or whatever. Um, and I and I said, well, I'm sure that he's been given an invite. He's been paid an awful lot of money to be there. So I imagine a part of that was going to be, well, I need X amount of minutes of TV time to, to take back to my sponsors. And I guess that's probably a big factor in that, Charlie. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's part of most things, isn't it? Money, money talks. And um, the guys who have the biggest exposure... That have been paid a lot of money to come to those events. They're the ones that the sponsors want to see all over the television. Um, I mean, if I, like someone, if I was on tour and Dustin Johnson's in the group behind me and we're on the same score, well, I know no, like apart from people who know me, they don't care really about watching me. They want to see what Dustin Johnson's doing. Um, but then also the sponsors that they, they want to see what they want to see him. They want to see every shot that he hits. Is there anything that? any story that can be built around those guys um, I think that's what we see that's why you have your, your groups that are TV draw groups you also have uh, cameras basically will, will follow like you see for years with Tiger every shot of Tigers would be on TV um, whether he was about to win the tournament or whether he was you know his place on the on a Sunday pretty much every shot would be would down and I think that, from a sponsor standpoint, that's that's what you want. I mean, I think you see, you see, often see, at some courses you might see setups, you might see draws that when you know the weather's not great Thursday afternoon, you'll see a lot of the big guys they want on the weekend. They're probably playing on Thursday morning. Everything is to get the guys that matter in terms of exposure, people being most well-renowned players, the highest in the world, rankings and things like that. They want them on TV. They're not really as fussed by having, even though you might have shot a couple of shots better, 
Um, I tell you what, Charlie, you're bloody right there because Abu Dhabi, we got the wrong draw. We were three shots worse, and in Saudi Arabia, we were two shots worse. The morning, the the, the early more sorry, the late early draw. So playing late Thursday, playing early Friday on both tournaments was more than two shots worse off, given the European Tour stats. And where did you see all the best players? Yeah, they're on the other side of the draw. You don't need to play the victim because you need to play good golf to make the cuts. You know that. You need to play good golf to make sure that you are in contention. You're making good money. You're making good world ranking points. You're pleasing your sponsors. But a lot of this is also down to what the draw is. And when you see all these players, you know, most recently in Saudi Arabia, you know, it's a great tournament. I mean, the stuff that they do to make everyone happy there is unbelievable. They they have made an amazing golf course. They look after everyone. It's incredible. But if you look at all the big Americans that came over, what side of the draw were they on? Oh, not the side of the draw where the standard European tour player was. They were all on, packed on one side because the weather happened. And the weather did happen. And we were... You know, I was lucky my player made the cut, but if he was on the other side of the draw, instead of finishing 50th, he'd have finished 20th. And that's a fact because the stats showed us. And yeah, that was yeah, that was a little bit hard to take, to be honest. I remember watching that uh, Saturday because one of my, you know, two my well, two best men from my wedding, Chris Paisley and his caddy Jason Palmer, they were on the tough side of the draw, so the late early. And I think it was only Victor Hovland maybe who was ahead of him on that side of the draw. I think there was second, but they were after Friday's play or second round was completed Saturday. I think they were like about twentieth, played nineteenth, twentieth on the leaderboard, and it's like really. He, yeah, you're, abso- you're, abso- you're absolutely right because we were sat in the players' lounge having our lunch on Friday afternoon after the after the second round, and Victor was there with his caddy, and Jace was there, bloody Leicester fan, terrible, terrible, <laughs> bloody terrible football club. And Chris was there, and we all sat there, the three of us. So Julian Surrey, Chris Paisley, and Victor Hovland. And they all said, we're leading the golf tournament. Because the people yeah. on the other side of the draw, they had it easy. And it was it, it was that marketably different. It was incredible. I've not been at many golf, uh, golf tournaments professionally where there was a huge difference. But it just happened to be that week that was the, it was the, it was the case... Oh, it was incredible. It was incredible how how easy the draw was for one side of the draw and how bad it was for the other. And how, how much slower the play was as well. We played that Thursday afternoon when the wind was up and Friday morning there was a huge storm system coming in off the Red Sea. And it's a very volatile area when it comes to weather. And the, the, the wind was bloody terrible. It was awful. It was all over the place. It was hot. It was strong. And you were taking time to work out what it was. The other guys, well, they had it easy. There was no bloody wind. The storm came in. Yeah, they got a weather delay. And they turned up the next morning on Saturday, finished their round off. There was no wind. It was, that makes a bigger difference to pace a play than a laser or a yardage book. Because, yeah. I think touching on that, it's like, sometimes, you know, weather can come in where it's just unexpected and not predicted. Like that week, I remember looking at the, I remember Jason Messi looking at the forecast and he's like, oh, it looks like we're going to be on a, a tough side of the draw. And, then, and it was kind of, they knew that in advance, which is, I think, why you see the, the draw so loaded one side. Um, I mean, people will say, and I think that, you know, those guys, you're just in Johnson's of the world, 
you can argue they've earned their right to be at the top of the top of the tree and you know for the they're the ones bringing people to the sport in terms of sponsors in terms of probably even people watching the event um but then from obviously from a pure level playing field standpoint it's not quite the same look at the draw as you as you guys who are, are lesser known um and can easily be put sort of anywhere else in the draw rather than especially selected for one side but Again, you're absolutely, you're, you're, abs you're absolutely right there. And, you know, as a layman sat at home listening to this, it, it, it would be frustrating knowing that the best players get the best draw. But as a, a player like yourself, who's, you know, who was trying to make it, who's trying to get there, you want these big guys at these tournaments. You know, the European Tour does a great job of getting these big guys at the tournaments. The world ranking points are a lot bigger. So, you know... Just to play devil's advocate, you know that if you do well at these tournaments and DJ's there and Bryson's there, Paul Case is there, Tommy Fleetwood's there, Tyrrell Hatton, you know, they're all getting paid to be there. That's fine. Yeah, good to them. Fair play to them. But you know, as Charlie Ford, the European Tour golfer, you have a good week, you finish top 10. The points that you're getting is mm. unbelievable. It's unbelievable from what you're used to. And that's where the European Tour sits right now is you've got to get these guys over. Yeah, they might take a little bit longer to play. Yeah, well, fair play to them, because they deserve to take longer, because they've earned the right to take longer. But at the same time, their presence at these tournaments makes the average European Tour golfer a lot more worthwhile, because you're able to earn more world ranking points, more money, more everything. And I think that's what the world needs to wake up to, the media world. When you talk about slow play, when you talk about what it is that, professional golf needs to go down these guys deliver everything they're they are they are superstars of the game and they deliver so much to the guys that are trying to make a good living the normal guys charlie you're a normal guy you're a, you're a normal run-of-the-mill bloke you could still play on tour if you wanted to you're good enough i know you are i've spoke to rob gibson enough he's a great guy he's a great caddy this is this is what this is what you want. You want these guys coming over because it gives you more world ranking points. It gives you more money. It gives you more prize money. It might take a little bit longer, but at the end of the day, who cares? Who cares? It's not going to have an effect on your Wednesday medal time, your Sunday morning uh, roll up at your golf club. That's that's the two completely different things. Yeah, just a, a couple of things I wanted to to interject there was the the first thing that you kind of said, Charlie was. You know that the the tee times can have such a, a massive impact on on the thing. I spoke to Chris just on I think it was on Friday afternoon and said that how well he played considering the side of the draw that he was on. Um, and I sort of said, you know, it's going to be great. You're going to be able to get out there and have hopefully you know the better of the conditions tomorrow and the weekend and be able to go low because I mean it was just it was just so obvious. And the other time I remember it being a case. I mean we do a, a weekly preview of the events and. And we were talking about Tommy Fleetwood, and he was on the wrong side of the draw in Abu Dhabi at the start of the year. And there was this there was this massive thing, basically, said that he was the only guy out of the top guys that was on the wrong side of the draw. And then, fortunately for him, what had happened, it got so delayed with the fog and things like that, that he actually managed to avoid the bad weather that he was going to be in. And I think this is the thing that, that people don't see, right? All these different intricacies of what can can affect slow pay, the, the weather, the... The you know the, the the things you can't really plan for in a test two and and you know it, 
and even something you mentioned before about the core setups and how that would affect people. Obviously, some weeks there's going to be there's going to be different factors that us viewers and layman people that just have absolutely no idea and no experience of it. I mean, it's sort of like the you know the, the undulations in a fairway or the green complexes at Augusta, for example, something like that. There could be anything that would take so much more to think about, and all we are is just screaming for the game to speed up. Yeah, I think there's so much. There's some places there's a lot of factors that play into it. Um, I mean, I know we're in a situation now that with no crowd, so to speak, but uh, even little factors like I'm playing the Irish Open at I can't remember the name of the course anymore. Um, 2018 was uh, it was quite a few doglegs on the course, and we, I remember in practice reasonable rough around, but not where you'd necessarily always lose a ball, but there's a possibility. Um, like the typical links type rough, and uh, I remember playing early Thursday. You know, we hit a lot of shots to the corner, dog legs, and played okay. And then I remember watching the footage. And Rory was out hitting drive over every one of these like dog leg corners. And that's that's a like, that's aggressive. Like that's I feel like you can lose balls. And then I remember I was playing in front of him on the Sunday, so we were obviously getting the crowd waiting for him coming down to us. And from on Friday, really, we switched our strategy and started taking on all the corners because and especially as high as even more on the Sunday and the fact that if they hit it in the roof they're going to find the ball for you like, there's that many people there someone's going to have seen it someone's going to have found it which if you're out like, often that year I'd have been kind of one of the early guys or one of the late guys on, the, on every draw if you're out late on a Friday night for instance trying to make there's nobody out there watching and you can't, you can't quite do that same sort of have that same sort of aggressive attitude because there is genuine fear that obviously you might not find a ball um, if it's to go slightly awry. And then, um, so I think there's, there's there's factors like that. There's also a lot of, like, I think the game in general kind of gets a, at the minute is getting a bit of a whack for a kind of not, there's not enough uh, sort of like shot shaping, et cetera, going on, but which I think is wider the mark when you watch a lot of these guys play, they'll hit. A lot of the guys will flight the ball differently. See, every time you're doing that, you change the distance of the carry. Are you holding it against the window? Not. So if you get those tricky days when it is windy, there's a lot of more things to factor to a shot. If you if you've got a right to left wind and you're going to hold it against it or draw it with the wind, I mean that same club could could be looking 15, 20 yards carry, and there are things that need to be talked about and kind of get yourself and your caddy on, on board on the same page. Um, like I say, when it is straightforward, if there's no wind and the greens are reasonably soft and there's no rough about, there's no reason to say that long, but there is times and situations where it's just, it, you when you're playing for your livelihood, you're going to take that little time just to, to make the decision that you really, really are both satisfied with and both have to commit to rather than just getting up and hitting it for the sake of hitting the shot because you wanted to play it in 30 seconds rather than 50 seconds, for instance. Yeah, and that's a, a couple of big points there is that I think there's a couple of players on tour that get a really great reputation for how fast they play and people find it really popular because of, of that. And and like you say, it might be detriment to their actual game that, that that is a factor. I mean, you look at like an open championship, you can't rush any shot in those conditions. I mean, the wind can change at any point. We, just, we know we're, there's a PGA Tour event going on right now at Pebble Beach where there were certain players that loved taking those six-hour rounds with the amateurs. Jason Day spoke about it because he said that he actually felt rushed week to week around the greens. I mean, I don't think he is, but you know, he, he said that I can take that extra 
you know, five, six minutes or whatever to line up a shot. There is all these factors that go through players' head, and I think, you know, it, there are the people. The, the point I made is that the people that are slow at the moment are deliberately slow, right? They're not. They're not suddenly going to pick up the pace because a, a you know a yardage has been lasered or whatever. That they're, they're deliberately slow. That's their style of play. They don't get out of their sequence. And, and I think that's just a huge factor. I know, Charlie, you as a player, you just said that when you first started out, you, you realised that you weren't the fastest player. And OK, you, you you worked on that and Remy did that. But you'd never want to get completely out of your comfort zone just for the sake of being fast because everyone else doesn't like slow players. Yeah, but in that, in that case for me, it was it was really when it was just highlighted from uh, one of the referees and and who knew really well at the time and who's still there now, Kev Feeney, and he just pulled me to one side and said, look, I've, I've watched you, because I, I, we'd had chats to say, can I speak? I said, like, what do I need to do? I don't understand why I'm taking so long. It doesn't feel like I'm that long over the shot. And it was really just through that conversation. He watched me for a few holes, not when we were being timed or anything, but just when he was able to watch, he said, I just noticed that you're, you're just not ready when it, when it comes to you to hit your shot. You're then... Or your playing partners may have hit, and you're just now getting your book out to, you know, to hit it. And when I was first out on tour, first year, so this would have been sort of challenged all the time. And then, so I'd I'd been doing some a lot of yardages myself, and um, yeah, I just really wasn't, I really wasn't aware more than anything. And then uh, after that, it's like make a conscious effort to, okay, if, even if you're the last one to play, well, make sure you get to your ball so you can do your yardage and stand to the side rather than be on the um, sort of be at the be sort of at the same side of where the other guys are and then waiting for them to hit their their shots before you then walk to your ball and it's that that I noticed really helped me speed up but it but the actual decision making process was still the exact same you're still going through the same decisions of the same part what you want to know of like we've said previously you know with the front or the back numbers or carry numbers and on the green as well as the pin and then you, you kind of work in a wind direction so then you shot and that whole process decision-wise hasn't really changed but it's just using your time efficiently walking down the hole rather than I would probably treat it was treating it at the start a bit more like I was out for a walk with with some friends and you're having a bit of a chat and you're just kind of having a, a general stroll rather than getting to grips with the game and kind of really pushing on to um to, yeah, to use your time wisely and be more efficient as a group and get get around the course without any sort of injury delay. Did it ever panic you when you re- like when when the sort of you had that conversation with the referee? Did you, did you become so much more aware of it and did it did it make you take shots when you felt uncomfortable about it? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely that element to it. Um, I, I think from that start, I was so aware that especially times when I got out into them to the main tour, maybe more so than challenge tour, I was really aware of, because obviously the fines, your fines and things are, are can be quite steep if you have a few, if you were to have a few of them. Uh, luckily, I never did get any, but it was a, um, it would play in your mind, and you kind of, you're always, you're thinking, oh, you know, is that, is that referee there watching me because it's slow? I mean, the slower guys will know that they're slow, and you will see guys who are really slow, a referee will appear around the corner and all of a sudden, they're playing and half the speed. I mean, I've seen that so many times. You've played half a dozen holes with this guy and it's taken forever, basically. It feels like you're trying to get the group moving, but you know you're losing ground. And the referee appears and all of a sudden it's like, 
they hit the shot in you know, 15, 20 seconds, and you're like, where's that just, where's that come from, you know? And then once then the referee disappears again a couple of later, well, that could become a time where he's fed up, now you've got that one shot in that round, and you're like, I really need a little bit extra time for I'm going between clubs, there's water there, or there's this wind's doing all stuff. Then it is, and you and, and sort of, for me it was, I'm a contest sometimes. It would definitely have hit shots where stepping away or, you know, even even you get into a shot, you you know what shot you want to hit, then you, you set up and you're like, I'm aiming too far to the left or I'm aiming too far to the right, you're just not comfortable. But yeah. if you're conscious of the speed of play, you, you end up just shot rather than, I can't imagine like a Tiger was ever hitting that shot. He'd step out. And if it was meant it took five seconds longer or ten seconds longer, he would take that time. Um and that's where that is where is there's a yeah a trickier part to it and I think that again yes. so you, you're, you would be aware of that at times when and the draw when a draw comes out you know when you're in the first few groups you've got to play at a pretty quick pace because they're going to be on you straight away like as soon as you're a minute or two over time allotted for those holes they're going to be on you to push you forward whereas if you play towards the back of the court, it's just everything is a bit slower then because the amount of people are, that are that you know that your day is going to be a little bit more stress-free because of the timing sense of it because they're just not going to be on you as quickly unless it's you're right at the end and they're pushing people to get finished for darks to get the cut done or whatever that might do. When you sit in those TV times or in those times in the middle of the draw, you're kind of in that happy medium where you're never really going to get pushed unless you get way out of position. Yeah, absolutely. Just on that, I mean, you talk about you know yourself as a player, and I don't want to name any names here, but was there any times where you you, you look at a tee sheet and you go, oh, you know, you're going to dread playing with him, not either because he's too fast or too slow, and you'd feel like you were letting him down, or they were going to hold you up? Was it because that can that can have a massive impact on your own game, right? You hear a lot of players come off the course and they get their their post round interview and they say, well, you know, what was the factor? And they'll say, oh, you know. I've played with player X today and, and I'm really comfortable pairing for me and that, that yielded a good result. Is that something that you'd factor in before you even tee off? All the time. Every week, I think everyone, caddies and players, in the draw and you're looking obviously for someone to get along with pretty well from like a personal standpoint, friend standpoint, then you're also looking for, does that guy play quickly or, or slowly? I mean, Ollie will probably attest to it, but I, I, Ashley Chester's is... Really fast. I mean, he's as probably as quick as there is, or as quick as there is out there. I used to love playing with him. We were, you know, both United fans would have a chat that speed, but I knew that you know if you have that shot, you need to longer on. He's that quick that your group, you're almost playing in the two or two and a half ball really because he's that fast. That you know that you're never going to be over. So if you did require a little bit more time, you could take that little bit more time, and your group as a whole is going. to is always going to be right up with the group in front. Just and then if you the opposite side, you pick somebody who's really slow, and you're like, you just know from the from the get go that you need to be efficient with your time because it's inevitable that you're going to be put on the clock at some stage coming up or monitored, and they're going to or the referees are going to be hovering. You just need to be kind of on the ball the whole time rather than yeah, a little bit of way. And not only on that, do you? Do you... You know, as a player, you know, as a caddy for a player, do they ever have that feeling in their 
sort of mind before they go off and you have to kind of just try and talk them through it and assure them it's going to be okay because sometimes they might think oh i've got to play faster than usual or oh god this is going to be slower than usual is that, is that something that you have to sort of sort of get out of their head and, and play a role in or do you feel it yourself before you go out as well yes is the answer to that <laughs> yes um many a time i was lucky enough to work for uh, alex bjork when he was pretty much top 10 every week it was ridiculous and he was such a quick player he was ridiculous and the the guy i work for now julian julian Suri, he's so fast they just have their decision made so quickly and you have to always remind them when the group is being timed you know if you know these guys are good players you're going to be in the final groups on a sunday and there's pressure from television producers there's pressure from you know just general timing and uh, yeah you got to tell these guys all the time it's not your fault you are quick here is the timing and there's many a time that I've finished around golf with my player. They're going on the range. They're just you know, going through a few shots that they didn't quite get right on the golf course or they've gone to the player's lounge to have some food. I'm straight into the referee's office to ask what it was where we were slow. And you learn it wasn't necessarily your fault. It was the people in the, in the group. And once you start to, you know, outlay that to your player all of a sudden he gets a little bit more confidence he realizes it's not his fault that he's slow it's the people in the group and you know, this, is a, this is a very important part of it because charlie will tell you if you're rushed as a professional golfer it's not it's not nice you really don't need this and to know and to actually have the facts there and the european tour are brilliant at this because they'll give you the facts they'll tell you charlie you are not slow it's the people that you are playing with all of a sudden you, you just feel a little bit better about yourself all of a sudden and uh, you can just carry on playing the golf that you want to play. Yeah, it keeps you in that kind of calmer zone, I think. For like, even if you're someone who's naturally fast or not, it's like everyone kind of has their own rhythm. I was just somebody, I, I wouldn't like to rush my warm-up, for instance. I hate that feeling of rushing through a warm-up because you just haven't quite got enough time to hit the shots that you would normally have hit or you just haven't you're kind of rushing just to run and hit a couple of bunk shots and chip shots because you you've got your timing slightly wrong or something. And that kind of rushing can have a knock-on effect to when you're playing. You could just have a slightly quicker rhythm to your swing than normal. And then you're just slightly off all day and you're kind of fighting that. And that affects sometimes when referees come over and you kind of get, you know, you're being monitored or you're on the clock as a group. It's then, if you are to jump up or try and play a little bit faster than what you are, when you're somebody who's totally fine within the, the speed of the game, um, and not going to go over your allotted times. But if you then try to play, make up the time yourself, it can affect your game negatively from the fact that you might rush a decision. You, might, you just go through things a little quicker. You might miss a bit of information. There might be a little miscommunication with your caddy. Just, and, and then you, push it, you might hit a shot. You're not totally comfortable because you don't feel like you maybe had the right club or you just ain't the wrong spot. And you kind of rush it. And that can cost you a shot, two shots, and all of a sudden on a might cost you making the cut, might cost you X amount of... That's where you have to be, I think, being kind of conscious. And like you were saying, I remember times when the group's been... You'll go to the referee and say, OK, can I see my time? Like, if you're being monitored or um, as a group or timed, you know, they're doing it regardless of who's 
quickest and slowest. And then at the end, you can say, hey, you, oh, yeah, you were, you know, 21 seconds, that shot 24, and you'll go. And you can see, okay, well, I was always inside quite comfortable. Next time in that situation, you have that little more trust in yourself that, you know, we are working at a quick enough pace that we don't have to worry about it. Whereas, you know, oh, they might say, oh, you were close on this one, close on that, what happened there? And then you kind of have a chance to, learn from okay almost that past three we were slow we were right in between clubs yeah we could have or we we ended up getting the water before we hit the shot you know something like that that might have just delayed you a little little bit but then you just learn from that that you can hopefully next time make yourself a little bit um more comfortable within this within the speed like a lot of time you're allowed to play the shot in and it's just having a bit more awareness and then keep kind of Carmo and I think every level of golfer understand when they're pretty see things quite clearly that's when they play their best when they're rushing around and everything's hectic it all becomes a bit of a blur and the, the quality of your goal from and every level of golfer isn't, isn't going to be as good at that stage yeah and I think the other thing I heard a, an interview one of the players only the other day where they were in a two ball and they said that they had to kind of deliberately slow themselves down because they could play quick, but they just kept catching up with the group in front of them. And I suppose that's another thing that you'd have to do as a caddy is to rein your player in, especially if, you know, like Julian Suri, like Alexander Bjork, they're people that are typically quick, but you want to stop them getting ahead of themselves as well. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the worst thing you can do is arrive at the ball. And like you said before, the flag's already in and they've not even got to the green yet. And you're having to do all the numbers and you just sit there and wait. And it just doesn't work. It's, yeah, it, it's quite difficult. People... People at home don't quite realise the uh, timings of the groups. They don't quite realise, for example, like I said before earlier, you know, we were off because of this U draw, which, you know, people at home might not quite realise. We got to the first tee after playing nine holes and Dustin Johnson and co hadn't even teed off yet. So we just sit behind the TV group all day. Uh, That is not good for your golf, but that's just how... The tour has to op- has to operate. It's a yeah, it's a very interesting situation to be in. And yeah, to be honest, it's uh, yeah none of this laser stuff will will beat that. And you'll see it this week at the AT and T in in Pebble Beach, and it's a beautiful tournament. Having a laser won't make a difference. Having a major in it, having a laser in a major will not make a difference. No, and I think the concern as well is that now they've kind of made a decision to go to it, Ollie. You know, I don't think when they make a goal for it, they don't seem to make a U-turn on it. So even if the players hate, you know, if, if the guys, the feedback is generally that this is actually adding on seconds as opposed to anything else, I guess that they won't just they won't just take it away. I wouldn't have thought. I suppose the only positive on that is that if it doesn't work at the PGA Championship and there is a lot of bad feedback then some of the other governing bodies and the European tour etc won't inherit it as well well yeah but it, you know you're absolutely right I mean where where does this lead us where where does the laser deliver you because ultimately as we said right at the start of this uh, recording right at the start of this show these players Charlie you don't need the pin number what you're interested in is something different and especially when it comes to a major, you know, if you're lucky enough to play the Open, you know, if you're lucky enough to play the US PGA, the US Open, yeah, playing the Masters is just an absolute incredible feat. You, you, these things that the laser can deliver, the information that you're getting is not relevant. What's relevant is the information that you get from your yardage books, the information that you get from your caddy. And the pro golfers understand that and they take that. And, you know, that that is what is the most important thing about professional golf is 
how you deal with that information and what it is that you do with that. Simply lasering a pin is not going to speed the game up and it's also not going to make you any better. Yeah, so the, so the good news about that, Ollie, is that I think it's fair to say that your job security is pretty secure despite the fact that they're allowing lads to use uh, laser rangefinders. I don't think you're going to be uh, negotiating with Julian Surrey about your contracts and the percentage you get just because you can put a laser out of a tournament in the future. Well, no, he'll still just tell me that uh, I talk rubbish. <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> you know, no, but no, you're absolutely right. Um, the detail that those caddies go into is so much more than what a laser can deliver. And Charlie can attest to this. What those yardage books do to you as a golfer and what they deliver is so much more than what a simple zap of a laser can do. And it is that that makes a difference between some of the best golfers in the world and just the normal golfers in the world. And I can tell you now, my brother obviously works for the uh, yardage book providers. When it comes to the majors, the very, very, very best players in the world pay extra for a better yardage book than what we get as normal people. And that says everything that you need to know. Yeah, absolutely. And Charlie, one of the, the, the topics that we spoke about before, I think we, when we were talking about Bryson DeChambeau in the past and, and the long distance situation was that a lot of people have a negative thing to say about green books, don't they? And I think that that was one of the things that people were saying now is instead of, you know, taking bringing the, the rangefinder into the game, taking the green books out because they've already got and, and that might speed things up. But also because everyone's now saying that this might diminish the role of a caddy and take away some of their best bits. But... At the end of the day, these guys, and you know, as we're talking about Ollie here, you know, these guys work incredibly hard for the week, and I don't think this is going to highlight anything that you can do without a caddy. It's just that it's just also just going to highlight that it's not going to speed things up, and maybe there's other facets of the game that we need to look at instead. Yeah, I think that, that you're you're correct there, and it's I think it, the kind of broader public probably just miss out on the intricacies of of the highest level of the game in terms of what they're thinking. The level of quality of the golfers that you get in terms of, you know, they can hit, they can, if they hit a wedge shot and it's within, it's out of, you know, five yards out of the number from they're expected to pitch it. There's disappointment from these top guys. Where, and that can be the difference, catching a slope and going to a couple of feet to all of a sudden spinning up a hill, down, I've got a 40-yard pitch, tough to go up and down. And, it's probably just those the details and the work that goes on prior to the tournament and with the use of the, of the yardage books that people kind of miss out on. The green book one is uh, I, I, an interesting one for me. I'm not... I think when we said before, I mean, I was somebody who always carried one, but I didn't really agree with them. So I'm kind of like contra very contradictory what I was doing and what I believed. Um I think if they're used correctly and guys are really efficient, I don't think it necessarily slows some players down. But then certainly there is times when a guy uses a, a green book and it, is, it will definitely slow them down. They're just not efficient with their time. And there's also the other side of putting when we've seen plenty of guys, you, you, all three of you are putting from 15 feet, for instance, and the guy's putting the last, you're both gone and he's not and looked from the other side of the hole yet you know and you've got to walk around you go look from the other side of the hole and come back and it's like 
they're the things that you can make the game quicker. They should be more efficient. When the first guy's reading his put, everyone should be in there reading their put from the angles that might be interfering with the other guy. Uh, they're the things you can pick up. A green book, I'm not sure how much it speeds up or slows down on the whole. Um, in general, I just, more for me, I was giving myself a reasonable putter and I enjoyed the art of trying to read the green. So I didn't want other people to get that help with that. Um, because I, I would consider that a skill and an art to be able to read a green. But um, in terms of how much it would speed up and slow down, I'm not sure. But it's the, it's the preparedness of people to be able to hit the shot. And that's the bit that, as a golfer, infuriates you. You know, you might be putting first. You've done your routine. You've hit it up to four feet. The next guy's put it. And then all of a sudden, you're both standing there waiting for this guy to walk around all four angles of the putt before he hits his. And it's like... You're killing us here. That's the time that yeah. needs to be reduced, and that's the way we can you can speed up the game in those instances. And it's like we said earlier with the shot clock. Man, I remember guys were so on the ball on that that everyone was once it was their turn to put after the first guy had gone, they're pretty much straight into their routine. So guys, what wasn't started because guys are just ready to go because they use the time efficiently. Whereas when it gets a little sloppier and people aren't efficient, that's when time just starts to add up a little bit um, uh, where you get the, the guys that are slower and then kind of get that little yeah, and I think, I, of people who are quicker. I think that the green book side of things is, is much similar to the range rider in the sense that, you know, different purposes, but it, like we were saying earlier, that I think there'll just be a confirmation. So someone might have already read the putt, the caddies read the putt, and then I'll just have a quick look at my green book just to see if that's okay, and then I'll hit the putt. So it's almost just an extra step that, that maybe you don't need to take. And then, and then, as Charlie said, there's a different factor in it in the sense that you don't want to give people that maybe aren't the best putters the level of uh, skill that you've got when you can read it correctly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is just another layer of confirmation. But... Um... You know, the best putters in the world, someone like Matt Fitzpatrick, I mean, he is one of the best putters in the world, if not the best putter. And he will always relay back to that information. But he does it in his own time, and he's not a slow player. So there's a way to, like you said, to put this into your game to ensure that you don't affect the other people in your group. And, you know, the best in the world generally don't put their problems on other people because they're they're so efficient they're so good at what they do matt's a great example they just get it done know what the put's doing and hit it and uh yeah and it it it, it is there's, there's, a, there's a fine line between over information and not enough information and i think the world of golf is slowly transitioning to a lot of information but the guys are now are very intelligent they know what they're doing and they will be able to deliver a very good performance of golf and a, a, an appropriate pace of play as well yeah and another thing charlie said there i just want to get your opinion on it from a caddy standpoint is that you're trying to go in there and, and read a part at the same time as others are, are you know ready to hit theirs do, do you as a caddy like if you want to go and read a part do you find it at all like intrusive on the player that's hitting their putt to, to be reading the putt and do you feel a bit awkward at times and that may lead to people taking a little bit longer around those sort of situations? 
Well, yeah, yeah, yes, is the answer to that question. Yes, I do sometimes feel like I'm in the way. But at the same time, there are ways that you can work around that to make sure that you're not in the way, you're not in their through line, you're not trying to read the put at the same time that they're trying to read it. There is a way that you can do this. And when you get to the green, for example, you can have a quick look before you go and drop the bag off, before you clean the ball, before you start to deliver the information about what the put actually is doing, if your player asks for that. There, there, there is a way that you can you can work around this. But yes, you're absolutely right. You sometimes do feel a little bit in the way. But um, yes, as the art of the job of caddying is to get the information without anyone even knowing that you were in the way. Yeah, absolutely, completely agree. Look, guys, I think we're, we, you know, I think we've said most of what we wanted to to come on and say, especially about the range values and things. Like that. Charlie, is there any other bits you wanted to add? No, the only bit I was going to say there, on top of uh, Ollie's comment, is I think that unless you're sometimes a player will have a caddy always read a put, so they're kind of very aware on it straight away. But a guy that doesn't have his caddy read the puts all the time it's often when he's read it and gone through it that he's then like a little bit indecisive of which way it is that it's almost like a it i won't say like, like almost like a last minute sort of oh ollie can you come come and read this for me if you can like and it's not that the caddy doesn't get all the same time that the player did prior to it because he he might not be aware that he's even going to be called in for a read he hasn't been called in for 14 holes all of a sudden on the 15th the player decides he needs a, a little bit of help because he just can't see that line and that's where I think it must get tricky for a caddy to try to get get in to get the read and try and do it like in a I suppose a speedy time and not to be sort of in anyone's way whereas um, yeah I think the guys who have a caddy read the majority of puts with them if they're if they're like that the caddy would just be more aware and guys get on with it. everyone's pretty much across the board everyone's pretty respectful to each other players and um, not often a, I can understand the uncomfortable nature of it at times everyone is kind of respectful and not understands that people aren't trying to put each other off and things like that yeah and I think the other thing as well is that like we so for me like I would consider Dustin Johnson an incredibly fast player and then he gets to the green and he's he's doing his aim point thing with Austin and it looks like he's incredibly slow so one minute he pans to his shot and he's hit it straight away before the camera's barely even picked up on it and then the next minute he's on the passing green, it feels like he's taking an absolute age. But I don't know if that's because the cameras are on him watching his whole process. Whereas when you see the other guys come on to the, the TV footage, it's just, you know, you're, you're catching him right when they're, they're prepared and they've gone through it. Well, I think that the TV does kind of suggest there's more problems than there maybe is. Yeah. I, think, I also think it goes back to the old adage, drive for show, put for dough. <laughs> That guy know where he's, knows where he makes his money. Yeah, he can hit it a long way, but he knows where he makes his money and he takes his time over those puts because that's the most important part of the game. Yeah, and I think as well, when you, when you see people, you know, going back to Saudi Arabia, a guy that's, you know, taken a long time to get back into the winning circle is Tony Finau. And the thing that he struggles with the most is the, the short putts when he's in contention. You know, you, you kind of want him to take that extra time so that he can get over the line. I mean, obviously he won't be if he's an opposing player, but that would be that would be somewhere where you'd think you could forgive them taking their time, whereas it doesn't seem to be Ollie, that people are quite as prepared to let people that have got a 120-yard wedge shot in take so long over the ball. Yeah, it's strange. It comes down to TV editing at the end of the day, doesn't it? But these guys are the best in the world, so you must take the time to watch them play the game. 
That's how yeah. it is. You want to watch Tony Finau rip a drive. You want to watch Dustin hit these pitches. You want to watch Bryson, as everyone talks about how good he is at how long he hits the ball. The most impressive thing about Bryson is short game. It's, it's unbelievable. This guy has transformed the game. And you, you golf writers and you media people are all talking about how far he hits it. The most impressive thing is about how tight his game is at the bottom end. Yeah. It's unbelievable. You know, and that's that's what's most impressive about these world top golfers, Rory, DJ, you know, uh, John Rahm. They, they, they're incredible. Look at Tyrrell Hatton. He does nothing incredible. He just does everything exceptional. <laughs> you know, you don't look at Tyrrell Hatton and go, oh, yeah, he drives the ball great. He does this great. Tyrrell Hatton does everything amazing. And he's got an old school great caddy on the bag that just tells him, Keep doing what you're doing, and you will get to the top of the game. And where where is he now? Is he top five in the world? Top six? Yeah, he's top, top seven? Right, top five now. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But he's just playing his game, and that's what people need to realize: is you can you can you can hit the ball a million miles like Bryson does, but you need the bottom end of it. And someone like Tyrrell is an unbelievable example to the rest of us, you know, us club golfers at home, us guys that just watch and enjoy watching the game. Someone like Tyrrell, what an example he is, because he's not this huge hitter. He just kills the iron play, kills the short game, holds the putts. And it goes back to what I said a minute ago. Drive for show, put for dough. And those putts are what make you money. So having Dustin take his time over those putts, fair play to him, because that's what makes you the money and the world ranking points. And that's what makes you the best golfer in the world. And he is the best golfer in the world by a long way. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think people now, I think there's, there's this massive thing about reinventing a game of golf to reach a larger audience, right? And I think the people that are into golf are always going to be into golf, whether it's slow, fast, indifferent or whatever. And I don't think you can ever make it fast enough, short form, like 90 minutes like a football match, that that you could ever cram that in. So it's, it's an unrealistic thing to do. It, it takes the time that it takes. Some of the best parts of a TV footage... Uh, Charlie is when we're seeing the caddy and player, you know, conversations between their shots. I mean, like we mentioned on, the, on that show previously, and what Ollie's just said there, the the thing that people don't see about Bryson is that he won winged foot by his putting. His putting was absolutely unbelievable that week, and to take that in and, and notice what it is, whether you know whether you agree with the fact that he's using a green book or not, you can see his process. You can see the way he holds the putter, all the different things that he's done to reinvent his game from two, three years ago, and that's the sort of thing that we're almost trying to get out of him because we want him to, to speed right up and just get on with it. Yeah, I think that. And I think that Charlie touched on it a bit there. It's, your TV editing is so crucial on how things look. If you want to push a certain narrative of a slow player, then you can get onto him so early in his pre-shot routine when the other guys are maybe even hitting and he can be seen to be even slower than he actually probably is. And then other guys, you can go, oh, he's great. He plays at such a good quick pace because all they've done is the camera's cut to him as he's just walking into the shot he's had one look and hit it um, and it can give you that false sense of you know the guys who are really quick the guys who, who aren't I mean the players all know who are the quickest and who aren't um, out of all the way at certain times and certain puts they're just certain shots are more important than other ones and a guy needs to be needs to kind of have extra confirmation for it yeah absolutely I think we to, to summarise the points we made here is that um, you know, the, the rangefinder is not going to fix the issue of slow play. Slow play probably isn't 
um, as big a factor as people consider it. I think that the people at home get possibly more annoyed than the players and the coaches and the caddies, etc., do on the course. Um, and at the end of the day, we should sort of take our time to enjoy it. The, the, the job of, a you know, Ollie's not going to lose his job as a caddy because someone can pick out a rangefinder all of a sudden and laser a pin. You know, there's no concerns there. You know, the game's going to go on exactly how it was before. And this is just another thing that the, the tour is trying in order to, you know, what they see is potentially progress. We're saying it might not be. Um, and maybe there's not a big enough change. So thank you guys both for coming on. Um, Ollie, obviously the first time on the show. So thank you very much for joining us. And Charlie, thank you again for coming on. No, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you.